This episode is brought to you by Eufy Video Lock. Eufy is a smart lock with 2K cam and doorbell that's a three-in-one triple security, so you can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but it's also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated camera. It's easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver. It's got keyless entry, so no more fumbling for the keys when your hands are full. It also has a rechargeable battery that could last around four months, and you'll get low battery notifications before it runs out. Passcode unlocking with a remote control with 2K clear sight to see who's at your front door and control from anywhere through the app. And with enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. No monthly fee, unlike other brands that will charge monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. This is the future. This is everything I love about what's happening with doors. In my opinion, this is an absolute no-brainer. I'm telling you right now, this is an absolute no-brainer. We installed them in the house, and it makes, especially when you have a family, it makes life so easy, so secure, so safe, and once again, so easy. Search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Hey guys, don't go anywhere. Real quick, let me promote something, and please take a second and set your DVRs to Bert the Conqueror on Travel Channel airing every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, 7 central. It is my show. This podcast is totally free. You didn't have to pay for anything, and you don't have to pay for my TV show, but please allow me the opportunity to promote it. Uh, Its premiere date is June 7th. That is this Tuesday. Maybe tonight for you. Maybe yesterday. Maybe tomorrow. But check it out. I know you're going to love it. I'm very proud of it. It is funny. It is enjoyable. And if nothing, it provides an amazing bucket list of cool things to do with your family this summer all around the country. Uh, tonight's episode is the Greasy Bowl in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and the Cheese Wheeling Festival in British Columbia. We've got great episodes coming up. We've got Ohio, Colorado, Jersey, Kentucky, Whistler, Massachusetts, uh, West Coast, Texas, Florida, the Midwest, the Heartland episodes, New Rides, and Michigan, and Universal Orlando. So check it out. Uh, and that's it. That's, see, that wasn't that bad, was it? For tour dates, go to BurtBurtBurt.com. I will real quick run through some dates. Uh, this weekend, I'm at uh, the Schomburg Improv. Check it out. Uh, I'm there the 10th, 11th, and 12th of June. Flappers Burbank the next weekend. Orlando Improv the 24th through 26th. Columbus Funny Bone, July 8th and 9th. Then on to Syracuse. Stand Up Live in Phoenix. uh, Or Scottsdale or Tempe, wherever the fuck you want to call that. Uh, Kansas City Improv, Toledo, Albany, Houston Improv. You name it. I'm there. Alright guys, today's a big podcast for me. I'm such a huge fan of this guy. I first saw him with my wife in the arc light at, uh, at the blue collar comedy tour. And he changed the way I looked at stand up. And I, and I, I, I'm a, it's a big testament, man. This guy's fucking hilarious. His tater salad story might be the best story ever told in stand up. Um, he's got a new show airing on Showtime, uh, that Cameron Crowe created and it's called roadies. It airs June 26th. If I'm not mistaken, let me check that again. No. Yeah. Let's just say June 26th. Type in roadies, put it in your DVR wish list. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron White. 
I heard, uh, I have a bull mass who's had uh, five surgeries on her knees. <laughs> You're a lost dog, dog lover like we are. Fuck. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's just it. Awesome. It's a pleasure to meet you, man. Nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> do you need some time to get settled? Are you good? <laughs> no, let me let me put her down. Okay. <laughs> can she get up and down the stairs? Uh, you know, she can, uh, but we don't really, we carry her yeah. uh, up and down the stairs. One slip and it's another hospital bill. Yeah, you know, she's just not very good. She's really good at going upstairs because she, her hind legs are fine. But going downstairs, she's got that all that weight on one foot. Yeah. And our, she takes some tumbles. Our bull mastiffs, all the surgeries were on the back two legs. And the right leg is just still holding. Like, it's just, you can see she's using it, but not. When she gets up, it's all front legs, like getting out of a pool. All right. Yeah. So, uh so uh, I'm, I got to be honest with you. I'm, this is uh, a big deal for me. I, I, I'm assuming you know absolutely nothing about me. No, no, nope. I don't. I know. I, yeah, I, I figured. Uh, I uh, I'm a comedian. I've been doing comedy for about 17 years. Okay. Do the road. Uh, was a New York comic. Uh, started in New York. Moved out to LA. Got on television pretty quickly. Money ran out, and I started doing the road. And uh, but always had that New York sensibility of like almost an arrogance. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, perfect <laughs> sense. <laughs> so my wife is from the South, and my wife said uh, when the Blue Collar Comedy Tour came out, she's like, "You got to go see this." We lived in LA at the time, and I was like, "I don't know, just real cocky." Like I, I know Bill Engvall, I know Jeff Foxworthy, I'm, I got it. And I sat in that theater in at the ArcLight with my wife. <laughs> And I watched it, and I giggled throughout it. And when you came and told the tater salad story, it changed my perspective of comedy forever. Really? I like literally. I mean, I've talked to this, talked to a lot of people about this, um, but literally, I went that. Like, I, you, I mean, when I met you on that movie, it changed. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? This guy's fucking fascinating. Like, it was like, and so then I go on the road. I'm in. I'm doing the road. All the same rooms you did coming yeah. up. And I go to a room, I get to the Columbus Funny Bone, and I'm like, there that weekend, and I'm fucking, all I'm talking about is you. I'm like, does anyone know who Ron White is? The bartender, I think it was a chick, was like, you talking about tater salad? I go, have you heard the story? She goes, are you talking about Ron, right? <laughs> yeah. I go, yeah. She goes, yeah, we, we know Ron. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and, you, and, and I started to do the road, and I realized that like your path in comedy was one that kind of that I looked at and I almost admired because it was a, a real honest road dog. Yeah, well, I didn't know there was another way. You know, I, I didn't it wasn't like I chose saw two paths and picked one of them. <laughs> you know, I I didn't know there was another way. I, you know, I never you know had exposure to New York or here. So what I the lucky thing about my career is I started at a funny bone and there were a lot of funny bones. Yeah, and there were four of them in Dallas, so you know I got a lot of stage time, and so you know I, I, that's, and I also considered myself a huge success when I was, you know, I never thought I'd get to that. I thought I mean that was the coolest job ever. Where I did it for sixteen years, headlining comedy clubs, and and uh, I figured that was as high as I would go. And I saw even though it happened to Jeff, I didn't think it would ever happen to me because I just don't. Those kind of things don't happen to me. And then uh, I just never saw it coming. I never, never did. I, I knew I was a pretty good comic, but but really all this? 
It's crazy. I, I, I was actually thinking that when I was sitting up top. I was looking out, and I was overlooking, and I thought, because I know what it's like to be on the road, and you do too, and, and, and I feel like I wanted to run through names of like guys like that you must have partied with at some point, like Jay Medicine Hat, yeah. or like, you know, like guys who live we on the road. We called him Jay Medicine Chest. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fa- There's The thing about the road, when you come out from L.A., is you have an arrogance about you of like, I'm out here doing the road, but my real job is in L.A. And then there are guys who live on the road who go, no, no, this is my job. This is what I do for a living. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even know you could do stand up and make a living in one town. I mean, I didn't. I know. I know some guys in Boston did, and I knew some guys in New York. Vic Henley moved out there a long time ago and stayed there with his stupid Alabama accent, and, <laughs> and I love him to death. He's a dear yeah. friend of mine. Uh, but I, I thought it's what everybody did. Yeah, and and then and then I I'm sitting up top and I'm overlooking the city and I thought, I, I honestly thought, how often, how often do you say to yourself? Because as a as a guy who's on the road, I was looking in this mirror right there and I was looking out and I just looked at myself and I was like, oh, I'll probably never, never end up in a house like this. Like that that's an honest thought. I'll tell you something I said one time. It was a blue collar just started. Jeff was building a castle in uh not a huge house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, big as a college. And uh he feels silly about it now. And uh but it was huge and he was just he was building it. And uh I was with Dan Whitney and we were walking through it and uh and I said to him, I said, This is as unobtainable as the fucking moon, dude. And he goes no, it isn't. Hell, we're on a blue collar comedy tour. You're by, we're both great comics. Hell, you know, he fucking yeah. he always believed that he, you know that uh, that he would be a huge success, and uh, you know now he works for Prilosec, so you know I I uh, I can't even imagine what they pay him. One of the people I, I obsess about with you about you is uh, Colleen Quinn out in Omaha. Yeah, and she she lo- I mean she loves you to death, but like it's I. I was just like, because I honestly, I, at the time, I think I was just telling jokes, like just doing one, like the best joke writing I could do, and maybe some a little bit of longer story story form. And I heard that Tater Salad story, and I went, "Holy fuck, that story is the perfect story." It's the it's it might be the best story told in comedy. I haven't done it in twelve years. Maybe I'll start doing it again. <laughs> when did you stop, When did you stop doing it? I quit doing it as soon as I could because it's an eight minute long bit. That album sold four million copies and f- probably eighty million people saw it and but but they owned it. Yeah. Forty four million people owned it. And then uh so when they own a comedy album, they just watch the hell out of it, you know, yeah. and then they know it. I literally before I I was already selling out theaters, but I had some comedy club dates left that I honored every one of them, and every one of them, none of, none of them bonus me. I, I sold out every fucking ticket Tell they me, had. How, what was your price? Every one of them paid? fucked me. Like probably I'm, three grand or two grand or whatever, oh, you know, because Blue Collar was over, and I, you know, and the uh, the DVD kind of went was only in theaters for about a minute, and so and then it went straight to DVD almost, and. uh I'm like, oh, it didn't happen. And I had, I was in here. I had a development deal with Fox, and I, so I looked like I got a movie coming out in theaters. Like I'm driving, I'm living in Century City, and driving a BMW on fucking Fox's nickel, and then and all of a sudden they don't pick that up, and that goes straight to DVD. And I'm like, there was my chance. And so, uh, are you serious? I'm back in clubs, this club comic, and um, but I walk on stage at, in uh, Dayton. 
Ohio at Lisa Grigsby's Griggs, Griggs, Club. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. The Wileys. Uh, is it Wiley's? No, Wiley's it's together. either Wiley's or Dayton. Wiley's and, and the Funny Bone were the two clubs. In Dayton? In Dayton, yeah. Doc ran one after, after a while, but I think... I know who you're talking about. I've, I think I've heard you talk about... Tell this story. I keep going, though, because it's jarring my memory. Did you not like the woman? No, it, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't about that. It was about... I just started that bit, and then some people up front started doing it with me. Then the whole room did it word for word, eight minutes and 49 seconds, that bit was. And they knew it, and it made me fucking cry. Cry? Yeah. I mean, we just made a fucking tear come out of my eye. Just like... That they would fucking know this bit so fucking well. I mean, it's just... It was just... I I couldn't get my arms around it. why Why something that I did mattered at all to anybody. That's insane. That's... Truly insane. So, so when after the movie, the movie was in theaters just for a second. Yeah, real and then the DVD, obviously, with that with that demographic, the DVD is going to go like fucking crazy. Yeah, you put it in Walmart, and then that is dialed in. Yeah. Oh, it's it was gigantic, the so, biggest selling comedy album of all time. And you're not, and you, and you had had a falling out with your manager at the time, who was Jeff Williams. Yeah, yeah. Who said something that I that I you I heard you sell this on. Like I said, I'm a comic. I, I'm a headlining comic. I have two TV shows. However, I'm a massive fan of yours. So I, I know things that you've said in the past. But he said something to you in a green room that fucking cut you to the core. And you were like, fuck you. We're done. Wasn't in a green room. It was in a, a hotel bar. And we just shot Hotel uh, Blue Collar 2 in Denver. And it was in the can. Uh, uh, it was, you know, we, we're finished. And uh ready to leave town we're all everybody's in a good mood it was the you know the rap party and and he had always needled the fuck out of me but i needed the job and uh and but i never liked him and jeff had done business with him forever and bill too and dan too so all four of us were with him and uh and uh but he gets drunk and i'm drunk and uh, he goes, you know what, motherfucker, you're nothing but a overpriced fucking opening act. Well, now I'm a multimillionaire is what I am. So, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> so that kind of turned into a big fuck you shoving match and, and got really ugly. And, and he wasn't really my manager. I, he was, I was his partner's client, John McDonald. Yeah. And, uh, but he fired me. He dropped me. He said, you're dropped from my fucking roster. And I'm like. I bet it'll take me 40 minutes to find somebody to replace your fucking stupid ass with. But John McDonald didn't realize he just lost a client that that pays a million dollars a year. Everyone waits for that. Everyone waits for that one client that can really generate income where they start to being able to hire their, 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 their nieces as assistants. And he's going to need an editor. He's got a a tour. He needs a publicist. And it, it was, it was ugly, but I got a lot Probably way too much fuck you in me to, to just about yeah, but, anybody. But how many times have you how many times have you burned the bridge and woke up the next morning and realized I need that bridge later? Because I'm imagining that in your past, I just I, you know I was just so convinced that he was the biggest asshole. Yeah, he t- he told the president of ABC, and this is and he will tell you he said this himself. I saw it in a magazine, but I know he said he said it. He said, I hope your children die of ass cancer. 
So that's how, what just a jerk, just yeah. a total jerk, an egomaniac is. And Jeff fired him, and Dan fired him. Bill's still with him, but <laughs> but it's got to feel good for to. It's got to feel good, and I just I connect with being on the road and being the guy that has to get up early for press and no one gives a fuck about you're just getting free drinks you're sometimes staying in the condo and you're pissed off you're not in a hotel to be at a place finally in your career where someone who has had this false power over you says something you go you know what I'm going to walk the gasoline to the bridge and I don't give a fuck because I don't need this and and that's and and I'm only saying that I'm sure you've been a guy that has probably been in a precarious next morning situation and this isn't one and as a guy who doesn't have the opportunity to tell anyone to get to go fuck themselves yet, right? Like it's got to feel good. Yeah, it did. And 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 uh, but also to be validated by years later because I wasn't the only one telling Jeff, "Why do you work for this piece of shit?" Jeff is the best guy ever. I've heard that. I a mean, lot. he's just a sweetheart of a man. He's just a genuinely good guy. He's a good father. He's a good husband. Uh, he goes to church. He's you know he's he's just he's true to his nature that's who he is on stage so that's what you should do and uh but why he was with this slime fucking ball for all these years i have no idea man god just what a douche but uh, but whenever he dropped him i was like you know even though it was years later i'm like (laughs) i tried to fucking tell you years ago dude that this guy's a piece of shit and and also his brother hated him and and they even his brother lived right next door to each other. He built his brother's house before he built his house. Really? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but it, it it took a while. No, is this is this before you moved to Mex- New Mexico or Mexico? Mexico. Is this before Mexico? Yeah, regular Mexico. Yeah, it's before Blue Collar that I moved there. I was in a deal. <laughs> I think maybe at FX. I was out on the Fox lot. And I was, and like I said, I was going through a phase where I was like, it, it, you were changing the scope of the way I was about to do comedy. And I was like, and I said something, I'm like, yeah, we, we've got a sitcom with Ron. And I think you also had a variety show you were doing. And they're like, but he's in fucking Mexico making pottery. And in my head, I was like, motherfucker. I was like, this guy keeps paving a path that I will emulate one day. I was like, fuck off to everyone. Take off to Mexico. Yeah. Well, that, that, then I did. Uh, the, the the funny bone chain, uh, kind of figured out that I did, I was doing 42 weeks a year for them and they f- figured out that I needed those 42 weeks and they could pay me a lot less. And, and I didn't have 42 weeks to fill it back up with, you know, uh, was, I've been in that situation. Which was true. I bet. I almost bet I've had the same conversation with the same people you've had. I would imagine that they were close, but I, I was making 1800 in air, which is pretty good headliner money for clubs. And then they reduced it to 15 flat. And I told him, well, you resist. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I got that phone call. We, I, you get the phone call thinking that you're going to get bumped up 500 bucks and they're They bring it back down. It's been rough. Uh, yeah. I've, I've had that phone call. Right. Well, I told him to go eat a steaming bowl of fuck. And my girlfriend was, uh, making pottery, a mosaic tile application to pottery. And, uh, and she would sell it at these art shows and it would sell like just right away. I mean, when the first hour she'd sell all her stuff, and, uh, but it took her six months to make 12 pieces of it. Yeah. So I just said, fuck it. Why don't we just go to Mexico? We'll hire a bunch of women. You train them how to do this and you can, I can orchestrate it. Next day I got my van, which, uh, is what I, what I toured in, uh, the, the biggest truck rider makes and the biggest trailer tire rider makes behind my car. And, uh, 
I moved to Reynosa, Mexico, which is one of the most dangerous towns in the world now. But back then, it was pretty sleepy. And uh, I moved into this little bitty village, a uh, little uh, colonia or whatever, and uh, right across from the refinery called Colonia Petrolera. And uh, uh, this little house that I loved, and uh, I, I right across the street from a church, and the best tacos I ever put in my mouth is stand that they opened it at night and just sit out there and, and drink really, really cold coronitas and drink, eat tacos. And, and the, and the women, I mean, I married a Mexican woman, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Margo. And, uh, so, you know, I, I loved it down there and it was really peaceful. And then I, I would fly out and open for Jeff on the weekend. So, uh, so I didn't, I didn't have to do clubs and, uh, so he, and he kind of made sure of that. That's know, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I only owe him everything, you know, he seems like I'm not pretty... going to pay him, but <laughs> <laughs> he's an interesting guy. I think all of them, it was so funny. I, I mean, I can be honest on, but like, I remember watching the movie and watching Bill's act and being like, eh, you know, a little probably out of all of them, the most lukewarm for me, Man, if I haven't written four or five Bill Engvall jokes as I've had daughters that are growing, and I go, motherfucker. Right. Like, oh, shit. Like, I'm just, like, I just was young and arrogant. I didn't realize, like, that he's got a joke about getting his daughter's panties. Right. <laughs> I was like, I wrote that the other day. I, it's it's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, Bill is actually, you know, when, when he was in the clubs, he was unfucking followable. Really? Uh, easily the best club comic alive, better than Jeff, uh, would, could just take a crowd no matter what had gone on before him in one second, they forgot about them. But back then he was doing shots at tequila on stage. He was doing blue stuff. And then that JP Williams guy that he's still with kind of Foxworthy lighted him up, you know, and said, no, you have to do it this way. You got to be clean and. And uh, then they tried to do that to me, and I'm like, "Well, fuck you! I'm not clean. I'm this is me. I've got to yeah. be me." I, my, my show was we had to. Lee, Jeff and I had to look at my whole fucking body of work to find ten minutes to do on Blue Collar One. Yeah, and uh, so and I would never work dirty on that show because that was Jeff's show, and I would never, you know, I worked clean in front of him, so I knew we had some, you know, he knew we had some stuff. But um, you know, the it, he's a. Uh, He's also a, a great guy and, and somebody I just love to spend time with. He's such a great hang. Do you get to hang out with any of those guys anymore? No, no. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm still doing 110 cities a year, uh, and shooting a series for Showtime. Yeah, I heard uh, roadies. roadies. Yeah, I just saw the trailer this morning on Showtime, and it looks fucking fantastic. It is. It looks. It's Cameron Crowe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J.J. Abrams is. Does that? Uh, does that? Does is, that? Does that blow you away a little bit? I mean, is there that one did? They, I'll tell you the fucking the reason I'm an emotional wreck. Uh, but my, my my road manager, who had been my best friend for 51 years, we uh, grew up with each other since we were six. Was dying in uh, at Cedars cancer, and uh, when I got the call to read for the part of a road manager. And I left his hospital room and went straight to Cameron's office. And I opened my mouth and I sobbed for 20 minutes and uncontrollable and got up and left. And I was like, well, that didn't go very well. I don't think <laughs> that's probably not what they're looking for. And uh, so I never really gave it another thought. And Steve passed and 
Cameron called back and he goes, hey, well, let's take another look at this. I mean, he certainly understood. Yeah. I mean, he knew what was going on. And uh, so, and I was still a wreck about it then and I'm still a wreck about it now. Yeah. So, but it makes me a better actor, you know. <laughs> How, uh, when did when did you guys start, when did he start working with you as, a, as your tour manager? 12 years before he died. 12 years before he died? And you were touring pretty aggressively, I'm imagining. Uh, 150 cities a year. So we were doing four and five cities a week. Was this the guy that like, I mean, I, there's things in that I imagine in your career that I don't know if it happened, but I'm saying, guessing he grew up with you at six. Was he the guy that like got to pull you aside for the first time and go, hey, we can afford a jet? Like, No, no. I, I, I did that on my own. When I, when I first started making a lot of money, it, it came so huge and so fast that I, and, and I, I come from nothing, nothing, a, a little 700 people dirt town in yeah. Texas. The street my house is on, that was on, still has, it's still made out of dirt. The whole town's made out of dirt. It's a dirt town. Uh, and everybody there was poor. And, uh, we moved to a suburb of Houston, dead in the refineries that stunk every day. And, and, uh, so all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm looking at these numbers going, what? This is, what? Okay, that's mine. That's mine. All these are mine. These are mine over here. I want that car. Give me that plane right over there. I'll take that <laughs> tour bus. Give me that. That's mine also. Just bring it over here. It was all mine. In my eye, I just had to decide which one, what to bring to the house, you know? And that, so, yeah. and, and fame and fortune is a weird animal. I mean, it, it, you have to figure it out uh, because, you know, now chicks are going nuts when I walk around and, uh, you know, that, but age and weight has helped that. I, so <laughs> the, uh, and, you know, and then, then I can do whatever I want, you know? Uh, so I, you know, that was a, that was a learning process, a real learning, a learning process. We, was, we both paint our toes. I matter black actually they're not painted right now but oh, normally yeah? they're always black yeah my daughter's my oh, daughter's uh i have mine done so that's some we do a touch we do a trip to like maui so usually somewhere in hawaii or maybe like uh over the to the bahamas and uh we get our toes done before i go so a little you know reminds, it reminds me of my sexuality yeah <laughs> so so what was the first big purchase you made that what was the first thing that you did that you're like i want that i'm getting it I uh, bought a house and uh, on a on a great golf course. That's what I always wanted. I, there, I, or I don't even know if I even wanted it or even considered it. But I always would see these guys playing these p- private courses. I'm like, how the fuck do they have enough money? Yeah, to do that. Even a shitty private course, you know, because I played low. I played golf my whole life, but I played the shittiest course. There was, yeah, uh, which was owned by a refinery. My dad worked for the the guy that ran the fi- refinery. Was a golfer. He built this shitty. Still to this day, the worst course I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, but I got dropped off there every day, and yeah. uh, and I had no idea it was the worst course ever until it later in life when I was on the golf team in high school, and and uh, just wants a little love, I think. Yeah, she is. Um, but I would just, you know, say, man, I just don't see how anybody swings it, you know, to to do that. And then first uh, time you play a real good sand trap, you're like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to hit into the sand. It's not just cement. 
Yeah, it's it was it was a, so anyway. That's what I did. I bought this ridiculously big house on a ridiculously great golf course in Georgia. Really, and uh, I still own it. It's still there. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I didn't, but it's. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to sell it this summer. My uh, my parents used to. My mom used to drop me off at a golf course every morning, like in uh, down in Florida, Babes of Harris Golf Course. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, that was our how your summer spent. You played play 36 holes. Do you still play? Yeah, I could. I. I've, very good golfer <laughs> you are yeah I grew, I grew up playing golf i haven't played we're, we're playing this afternoon you want to go i can't i gotta take my kids out to dinner tonight i'm on the road a lot and then so ah! yeah i'd love to play golf. i would absolutely love to play golf with you well we'll do it someday yeah i'd love that yeah I, i'm the kind of golfer that i won't play for a year and i'll pick up and i'll shoot uh, bogey, bogey golf yeah. without playing in a year yeah that's great um and my dad golfs a lot so he's always buying clubs and sending them out i have got the new pings get rid of those old ones what do you play? What clubs? Uh, well, TaylorMade gives me clubs. Oh, that's going to uh, be nice. So uh, I just got the new M2s uh, last week. The, the in, uh, But I still play Ping. Uh, I'm uh, Big Bertha driver. drivers till the day I die. Oh, Big Bertha. John Daly. John Daly was like, John Daly is the same. I, I've always liked the, the Mickey Mantle type hero. You know, oh, yeah. the, and like the John Daly, John Daly, I remember hearing a story that he got offered $3 million to go to rehab and he was like, give me like a week. And they were like, no, it starts right now. And he goes, I'm gonna have to pass. And I just right. was like, fuck. That's him. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a buddy of mine too. We were just hanging really? out at the masters. Yeah. I parked my bus next to his bus. He sells, you know, his merch there. And, uh, so I, I go down there and hang out with him every year and, and, uh, he, he, this is, he just joined the, you know, senior tour. He just turned 50 the other day. Did he really? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Do you go out and play those celebrity golf tournaments? Yeah. Sometimes. Know- and I'm going to go do a bunch of, uh, a bunch of them with him, do some pro-ams with him and, uh, which will be a blast. That was and, the- and the fans will love it because they love John. I mean, John oh, moves. God. The you, and, you and John are the two more of the more approachable celebrities that I could imagine, I was at I was at TPC in '97, and and I, I I don't think he was playing. It was the year. I want to say Freddie Couples won. He had Freddie Couples had the hole in one uh, on on 17. He didn't have a hole in one. He had a he he uh, holed out for a three. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Oh fuck. Yeah. So uh, and we would sit by the 17th green and just drink and gamble on closest to the pin. Right. And uh, we went out that weekend, and John Daly was partying at a bar, and I was like. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is the craziest thing I've ever fucking seen. It was like, I just want to get near him. All right. But, uh, but yeah. Well, he was sober for five years and he, he called me one night, just slosh drunk. And I'm like, where'd you start drinking, Johnny? <laughs> he goes, you know what? Fuck it, Ron. We got to drink. I've been every time I see you, I'm like, I want to just drink with Ron White. That's all I want to do. <laughs> well, let's go drinking. I'm like, well, where are you? He goes, well, I'm on the other side of the country. Well, we'll get together. I'll see you at the Masters. We'll drink. Yeah. And so, and boy, did we? <laughs> did you? Yeah. Now, do, how, how? Like, I'm, I'm a big drinker as well. Let me give you a real quick story on me, so you have a kind of a, a frame of reference. Sure. In '97, Rolling Stone magazine, 1997, Rolling Stone magazine. Literally, the Monday after the TBC, discovered me and called me the number one party animal in the country. Oliver Stone optioned the rights to my life. I moved to New York, started doing stand-up. Will Smith discovered me. Uh, and I have a very famous story that, that it, had I never heard you tell Tater Salad, I don't know if I'd ever have had the balls to tell where I got involved with the Russian mafia when I was a kid and we robbed a train. And that's probably why I'm – anyone knows why I am mostly. Wow. Yeah. So, so – uh, but – 
but I'm a big drinker. I've always been a big drinker. And you're one of the guys that I saw with a drink on stage that was unapologetic. You and Attell are maybe the only two guys I've ever seen that are unapologetic big drinkers. Well, you quit. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but you're no, still... just me and Stanhope. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was at Stanhope's house. Uh, like, Stanhope and I are friends. So I yeah? yeah, yeah. So I called him up. I said, I want to hang out. He was like, come down to Bisbee. I'll pick you up at Tucson. We'll party for the night. I'll get you home the next day to see your kids. So I was like, fuck it. I got money. So I flew in. He was here last night. Is he in town right now? Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, he's in town uh, editing this thing that he did. Uh, with Johnny Depp. With Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, Stan Hope is sending me a, a big white dildo for my kid's silent auction. If you, uh. Oh, grab the mic. <laughs> they been on my video here. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Stan Hope, uh. And I worked together back, he middle for me in Oklahoma uh, in, I don't know, maybe 91 or 92 or something yeah. like that. And we had a opening act. It was a girl from Houston, big girl, and a horrible comedian. But she brought cakes and stuff to the staff, and she just sucked up to everybody, and they gave her opening work. And we just tortured that poor girl all week <laughs> long. And I don't know if she quit comedy, or, but <laughs> we would just come back in drunk. And, oh, I feel I feel sorry for it, and I kind of forgotten about it in Stanhope last night. Uh, <laughs> he, he does a pretty good Ron Wine. He, he was saying something that I said to her, and I'm like, oh, I didn't say that. Are you going to uh, break me off a piece of that pussy? Yeah, that's what it was. It was uh, <laughs> I've heard him tell I'm that. I'm not turning loose to somebody yeah. pussy. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think Stan Hope's fantastic. I've I've I've, I've picked his brain f- about stories about you. Have you read his uh, book? I'm in the middle of it right now. Oh, it's fucking fantastic! All I've read is the first two chapters because that's all oh. I could get on my iPad. Oh, the first two chapters is he murders his mom. His mom. His mom. Right. He helps his mom. Whatever. Yeah, yeah up, whatever. Right. And it's fucking. And then the next chapter starts with uh, I don't have a lot of memories when I was a kid, but I do have a distinct memory of my mom jacking off a dog. And right. you're like, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's a great. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, you don't. You really don't understand honesty till till Doug tells you what it is. I mean, but that that, that he would even that he would even be completely honest about the things that happened in his life. I mean, I'm going to leave that one out, I mean, you know, yeah. uh, but he doesn't leave anything out. And he, he's a, he's, that's why he's such a, you know, such a treasure, you know, and, and I'm not the only person that thinks so. And you're not the only person that thinks so. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, Johnny Depp wrote the forward in his book and, uh, ended it with, I don't like this man. I love this man. Yeah. And, uh, so, and I told him if I would have written the forward in the book, it would have been shorter and funnier and easier to read because that was like one unpunctuated sentence. It was like two paragraphs long. I'm like, definitely what? Dicta- it was dictated into a phone. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. Stan Hope's one of those guys that I, that me and him, I feel like are, you know, I would go out drinking with him. He, the two biased podcasts that I've ever done is he came over and we drank at my house. And then had dinner with my family and then did a podcast and then drank again and did another one. And then the one I went out to Bisbee. What do you drink? I drink anything. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 
you don't have a tequila, right? Uh, I tried to buy a vodka. I tried. To, it's one of the most complicated things I've ever done in my life. Because uh, the the, uh, the machine story is what it's called. It's it would be my tater salad. I'm called the machine, and uh, so I tr- I thought pair up with a vodka company, go into clubs. I move more more product in clubs than any comic working right now, booze wise. Um, I almost reached out to you in Philly. I do a call and sick to work tour where I go in, do press, drink a press, and then go right to the club at like ten, 10 noon in the, noon in the morning, and everyone calls in sick to work, and we do a show. At noon, and they sell out everywhere. But if the the booze, we drink them out of booze before the show started. So I was literally going to go. I called my manager. I was like, reach out to Ron Weiss people. See if they want to send some of their tequila because everyone does shots in the room. And so we just tear through bottles of tequila. They're pretty big, but I drink everything. I'm not a scotch drinker. I know you're a scotch drinker. No, I, I don't drink scotch anymore. Oh, really? Are you just tequila now? I don't drink now? anything but my extra Añejo tequila. I think it's the best drink of liquor I've ever tasted. I, well, I'd love to try some sometime. How about now? I'm ready. Kim, <clears throat> would you bring a bottle of that extra Añejo and a, a couple of shot glasses? Next time I do a call and sick to work tour, I'll I'll reach out. To, I know you and Alex own it together. Mm-hmm. I'll reach out to one of you guys and have them send a case, and I will tear through. It's a it's a big drinking show. Okay, but um, so do do people ever talk to you about your drinking? Do I ever do, like? Is I as a big drinker, do, do people ever go, you know, Ron? Or do you ever think about it? My doctor. <laughs> my doctor, you know, too. Right. Uh, but, yeah, you know, my wife brings it up every once in a while. <laughs> uh, uh, my mother doesn't bother me about it, but, uh, you know, she drinks, too. Uh, she's 81, likes to party and get hammered and gamble. Thank you, dear. Well, wow, just the glasses themselves are gorgeous. So, yeah, my cardiologist uh, said to me, he goes, uh, you know, I got some clients who are big drinkers. He's like, you know, you know how this ends, right? And I was like, yeah, I get it. It's going to end. It's either that or maybe another way you don't know about. <laughs> well, there it is. That's age three and a half years in a retired bourbon barrel. Nice. Uh, we enter competitions with it all the time uh, with all three of our, we have a Blanco and a Reposado and then that. And uh, that has never entered a competition without winning a gold medal, not one time. Really? Well, the bottle's beautiful. And uh, the, uh, what was it, Nexus Magazine, which is American Airlines Latin publication, did this gigantic thing on tequila, hired, got every expert there is. And that was named one of the top five bottles of tequila in the world and the only one under $300 in that list. Really? And that's 79 bucks. That's seventy nine bucks. Now I know a little bit about trying to acquire uh, to sell liquor based on my meetings. The bottle is really nice. <laughs> it's a gorgeous bottle. It looks like uh, it looks like uh, like the the cut cactus, doesn't it? Yeah, the pina. Yeah, the pina. Well, I'm gonna try it. All right. Well, just uh, just give it a little sip Cheers. and taste. Don't forget to taste it. That's really good. I could. I can't really like sip on tequila. I know it's it's tough. You have to learn it. No, but that is <laughs> that tastes like it's got. I guess I, it's the barrels I like. Cause I'm a big Jameson drinker. Yeah, I used to tour for Jameson. You know Billy Gardell, really well. Yeah, I used to tour with Billy. We used to be sponsored by Jameson. No shit. Yeah. Uh, everyone left that tour either sober or uh, right. or, or, or worse for their wear. <laughs> yeah, me and. Uh... Me and Billy Gardell uh, 
carried Tim Wilson to his grave. Carried Tim Tim Wilson, the comedian Tim Wilson. Oh, oh, that's right. He died, and Billy and Billy and I were pallbearers bears at that uh, at his funeral. Really? Do you think about mortality? Uh, uh-uh. uh no, not much. You know, I I think they're going to find a cure <laughs> before I get there. <laughs> Do we 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 brought up uh, Christian? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, my uncle uh, is a guy named uh, Dr. Charles Pollard, who's a triple doctorate. He has doctorates in theology, psychology, and philosophy. And uh, and he was at one time the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is an amazingly powerful position to be in. And yeah. uh, and now they wouldn't let him mop the floors in a Baptist church if, you know, because he started kind of. Going okay, well, this isn't. I don't buy this anymore. And, yeah, uh, but he he he. Uh, so he would work some of their big plants, you know, and uh, uh, and and he was funny, and and probably where I learned how to do stand up, you really? know, uh, and and people say that I have his pace, you know, on stage that you know that relatives that have watched us both and and. Uh, and I love to go to church because my uncle was fun. I mean, he had always had a big youth group. We were always doing crazy shit. And uh, he he was a uh, almost an Olympic wrestler. In, uh, he won state in Colorado uh, at college level. So he was also a, a badass. Not a big man, but, you know, just impossible to beat at anything. Yeah. And... Uh, but I just loved going to church, and I, I was there every time you know, my uncle was. You know, if I was that, you know, I'd spend summers with him and stuff like that. And and then we moved away, and uh, we got another preacher uh, who was like a regular old preacher. And I hated church. <laughs> I, don't want to, I, I, didn't, uh, I couldn't wait till the day I could quit going. It just it wasn't the materials of delivery you were a fan of. <laughs> yeah, it was a. It was a it was a weak presentation. I'm like, oh no, what is this? And he was just the, the most drab borehole. So wait, what was the what was the maturation of your material? Like, how did you get to how did you get to where you are now, where you really are kind of like a modern day storyteller, like more more almost like a, like I guess in not as as campy as Andy Griffith, like he was, he, it was, his was a little more sing-songy righty, but like, where did you, did you start with one-liners and no started with stories? Just always stories. Yep. I didn't know how to write a one-liner. I, I just had, uh, when I was a kid, do you mind if I no, please, yeah. please, please. When I was a little kid, uh, you know, 10 people could see a car wreck and, and, and I would tell the story, and it'd be funny. Yeah. And uh, so, the, I, I, to this day, uh, s- struggle with short-form comedy. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, I, I struggle with it, but I just don't do it. That's not what my fans like. Well, it's not, it's not what they, I'm good at either. They, they, they like for me to tell stories. Now, once I write something out of my show, I quit doing it, and and that, which is kind of weird, but, because I went to see... Uh, uh, Steve Martin, when uh, I was 18, and I was in the Navy in San Diego, and uh, and he didn't do anything off Let's Get Small, except for excuse, he said excuse me one time. 
And uh, and I like it was a great show, but I left going, why didn't he do anything off of? I, I wanted to see him do it. And and uh, and now I'm been doing this thirty years. I I've headlined the same room that uh, or you know did a show the same room I saw him in and many times and uh, and I won't do it. I won't do it either. I, I just I can't because there, there's no such thing as a hit joke. Yeah. If you know the joke, you know the joke, and especially that one because if I start it, they'll scream like crazy. And then I got to drag them through an eight minute long bit. They already know. So they're not going to respond to it the way I want them to respond to it. And the only way to get what I want out of the deal is to do another bit. So you want the freshness of it. I, I want the response. Yeah. You know, I want, I want not the cheers. I want, I want what gets me off. Yeah. I don't want the cheers. I, I hate a clappy crowd or a hooty crowd or, yeah. you know, I just want listen and respond and however you, you know, your natural response of, of it is, but but if you've already heard it, I'm not going to like your response. So funny, you know. I, I I I'm in the same boat where I've been telling the same story, and I can't get away from it. But I'm not you, so I'm I and I, you know, I just told it on my Showtime special, and I feel like I'll tell it for the last time there. But uh, but I I don't I <laughs> that better be uh, Brian Johnson. <laughs> yeah, could be. He's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Warren, Ohio. I don't know who that is. <laughs> but uh, but but I I and and I say this in all honesty of be, in being in the same boat of having a story that's popular that people are cheer, yelling out and know the ending to. Right. I would want to hear you tell the tater salad story. If I went and saw you live, I would literally like, you know, it, and I'll I'll break down the story of why why I believe it's so brilliant. And me and you know Ari Shafir, you just did his storytelling show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ari and I are uh, big, big, love to have lunch and break down things. The the line that where you say, I only told you this story to tell you this story. Right. That's the fucking, that's the shuck. That's the juke. That's where I didn't see it coming. And every story needs a great ending. And that story ends so perfectly. I'd almost like to, I'd almost like, I, and, and, and I don't like, to, I, I, I'm tired of telling my story, but I, but I, as a fan, I would, I'd pay an extra hundred dollars if I knew that you'd tell the story. Isn't that interesting? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you permission to do it yourself and uh, <laughs> you <laughs> learn it, go take it on stage, <laughs> do it as a tribute. I would love it. And if you would, no, I actually did it at, at uh, last year at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, because uh, my, you know, just people have been, just, uh, you know, they've just even my even my camp and my friends and they're like, come on, Ron, you're in New York, you haven't done it in twelve years, nobody's going to expect it, and uh, so, and uh, and Margo, my wife, sang uh, her, not her band, but she had a like a three piece band. And uh, she just shook the place. So yeah. You, you got to hear Margo sing sometimes. I follow her on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I uh, just randomly, I, I know who Alex is, of just be, being a stand-up. And when I heard that you guys were together, I immediately was like, I wonder what Alex's sister looks like. And then I checked out her Instagram, and I saw a picture, I think, of you guys in Hawaii. And I just followed her, and I, I just, just a, you know. Well, that live voice is... Uh... When, uh, she can shove you with it. Yeah, that's how much power it has. She's a four and a half octave, classically trained opera singer, singing jazz or whatever the fuck she wants to. Now, were you always were you always into music growing up? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, rock and roll. I'm I'm from Houston, so you know, I I I grew up listening to great guitar work, you know, with the Billy Gibbons and Dickie Betts, and they used to party down on Sunset. Who Billy Gibbons? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I used to have my first TV show. He was friends with one of the producers, and we'd go down to uh, the Mexican restaurant on Sunset across from Guitar, the Guitar Place, and he would be there all the time, and I would fucking freak out. Yeah. I I knew him because I was in rehab with uh, <laughs> with uh, Frank Beard, the drummer, and so I just met him a few times. I we went to see him last year, yeah, up in Paso Robos or whatever it is, and and it was fun. I had a great time. Now, when you were partying, I, I remember hearing you tell this, and I don't know where I heard you tell this. But you were partying real hard when you were in Hawaii, was it, or was it San Diego? And you had to go to rehab, court appointed, I think maybe. Uh, I was partying really hard anyway, and I, and I, and I got busted in a random, uh, piss test, but we were in Japan. So then I got flown back to San Diego in a plane with no windows strapped to a gurney. And, uh, after being eight days in a padded cell in Iwakuni, Japan, stopped in Guam to refuel. And you're still in the bed. Still in, strapped to a gurney. I'm like, what do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> Holy shit. And, did, uh, now, when you when you pissed positive, did you know, you were like, ah, you bought, got me. Did you realize the repercussion of, fuck, I'm getting strapped in and I'm getting sent home? In a gar- that's fine. That would I'm having a panic attack thinking about it. I knew it wasn't going to be good. <laughs> uh, so and then they also I, I had bought a motorcycle over there and it was down in the hold and and uh, and there was a bunch of tie sticks stuck in the tires inside the tires and that eventually came out and and uh, uh, but yeah, it was just trouble. And yeah, but so I got, yeah, they, that guy was discharged from the Naval Drug Rehabilitation Center in Miramar, California. The, the, when I was with Frank, that was a few years and that was court appointed. That was in Houston. Okay. And then, and then how did I you... had a hard time finding my way? Is hard. That's what <laughs> yeah, I'm but, to say. but what's, what's interesting, and I don't, I don't know if, do you know who Joey Diaz is? Yeah. Uh, like I Joey's, him last night. yeah, Joey's one of those guys that has partied and, and, and gone to the furthest end, but still parties. And I always, I always wonder about that that journey of like, of like going through rehab. I guess technically getting corn appointed sober, but then sliding back in and doing the road. And I'm I'm certain if you, there had to be nights on the road where coke po- po- pops out. Uh, it wasn't coke. It was I was shooting dope. You know, uh, I was a, I was a big needle freak when I was a young man. Really? Uh, yeah, and I uh, started doing that in the navy. And, uh, but when I got out, it got, it got even worse. And, uh, you know, three times a day, I was shooting dope. So I needed to be in rehab and I haven't done it since. since. I've stayed yeah. sober for two and a half years and then started drinking and smoking pot again, but I never went back to that. And, and quite frankly, never ended up with much of a Coke problem. Really? Uh, no, not really. I, I, I like, uh, you know, I just don't like to get, I just don't like to get revved up, you know, too yeah. much. I, I, I mean, I did buckets of it. You know, but but it didn't have the same grip on me that uh, other drugs did. So when you so so that, that's always fascinating. I always I like Joey. 
you know, had his problems with substances, but still just, I don't know if you've ever watched his Periscope. They're fucking epic. He smokes bowls after bowls after bowls in the morning on Periscope. Oh, no. I I, I, I have now. I'll, I'll do it, though. I, I have Periscope every once in a while. Yeah, I have seen your Periscopes. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen yours. I, so now I'm looking at your joke board. When you, write, when you work on a bit, are you... Are you taking the guys on tour with you? Are you guys brainstorming them in the in the tour bus? Are you doing it all by yourself? Are you like how, what's your process now of writing? Are there stories like the I mean, as a, just as a as a pedestrian, I go, I'd love to I'd love to hear more about getting kicked out of the army or the navy. Like, how do you work your bits? Well, the uh, what's on the board in there is just a, a kind of a at a glance the current set that I'm doing. Uh, so those are just notes that I can look at and remember what I'm up to. Okay. And, uh, and, and also before I go down, cause I never write anything down. I don't have a notebook. So, uh, you'll notice these are all roadie scripts. There, there's no yeah. notebook. I'm not a writer. I like, I don't, I don't pen to paper doesn't, it, I need to figure it out. Now I re, I, I record all the big shows and, uh, but anyway, it's, uh, I write, I have a, uh, I write with a guy named Rick Kearns a lot. Uh, do you know Rick? No. Uh, Denver comic, really, really funny, really self-destructive. Uh, he, not now. He's doing really well. Uh, but yeah, he went to prison in Alabama or something, and and then uh, and just a, I mean, just a guy that would just drink. Even I mean, if, if you got me shaking here in my head, you know, <laughs> you, you're drinking some fucking booze. So then he he fucking runs into twelve cars, hits twelve parked cars at two thirty in the afternoon, and it's his fourth DWI. Holy shit! So I'm like, well, he's gone. He's gonna go to prison. And uh, but his health, his general health, was so bad that they didn't want to put him in prison. So they just locked him up in his house with an ankle bracelet. And uh, and he, he's a friend of mine, but. Boy, you know, he's a small dose friend. You know, he's just a, he's a crazy bird. He's a crazy person. Comic as well, yeah, right? Comic. Yeah, comic. Oh, yeah. brilliant comic. Yeah. A really, really good comic. And uh, so, he, you know, we were talking one day and he was telling me all this shit that was going on with him. And I said, well, look, I'm writing some stuff right now. Well, let me run it through you. You know, you can punch it up or whatever. Or if you don't see anything, tell, tell me you don't see anything. Yeah. You know, so, you know, see, so he and I do that. And, uh, and he's doing way better. You know, he's got his uh, ankle thing off and uh, found a solution for his sleep apnea. And he's been sober for a couple of years. And, you know, he, and he needed it. Do you tour with him? Uh, no, uh-uh. he doesn't. He doesn't open for me. Yeah. He, we, I got enough, you know, guys my age, overweight guys in their 50s in the, in the show. Oh, One, yeah. That's all we need. <laughs> How do you- now, Alex opened some shows for me. Doug, St- uh, Doug Stambo. <laughs> I say that he doesn't know. Uh, uh, what's his name? Josh Blue opened some shows. You know Josh? Yeah, I know Josh. Yeah. He's hilarious. There's your pot smoker right there. <laughs> I watched you guys on Getting Doug with High. Getting Doug with High was one of, was one of my favorite podcasts. Really? I, uh, I, I thought it was fun, but I mean, it, but. I'm a way better guest if I'm not completely baked. Well, that's, you know. Which I brought up that. I mean, I don't know if you've heard ours, but. No, 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 no. You, 
drawing the analogy of legalization of marijuana to people making surfboards was the funniest thing because I was caught on was like fucking surfboards and you're like maybe I shouldn't have used surfboards but that's what that podcast is <laughs> it's just because there's no agenda right? there's nothing there there's and and it's it's the the beauty of what I think podcasting is now this one I'm loaded because I'm going in knowing a lot more about you than I would an average guest but uh, but I think my fans will be like they I think they passion begets passion you know i'm a passionate comic i'm passionate about comedy and i think you're one of those guys that really kind of carved his own path i think it made people like that guy williams uncomfortable because you can't put a finger on it you can't stop it but you don't have a bad reputation you at all like i said something about you to judy brown uh marmel and she was like one of the greatest guys in the world I walked, I said something about you at the store and they said, I don't know, I want to say it was Al Madrigal was like, can I tell you what's amazing? He got the light and he got off. He didn't have to. He's a comic. Like, like you were doing a set in the original room and you got the light and you're like, oh, that's my time and got off. And everyone's like, that's unheard of that a comic that big would be like, I'll respect the business. Right. Well, you know, I call in for my sets too, you know, like everybody else does. Yeah. So, uh, so they're not bumping, you know, young comics just because I decided to wake up and go down there. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm going up tonight. So uh, and uh, and and Doug's going up too. Uh, I mean, he's not going to go on stage because he doesn't he's gonna have to go show. party. He's going to come up and drink with me. And, yeah. Uh, so uh, you ought to come up. I know you got the kids, but uh, I'm gonna. I, you know, I, I'm 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 trying to straddle the fence of the road and the lifestyle with being like a real and i my shows are on travel channel so i travel for those like half the year and i'm gone gone so i'm i, I when i'm home i try to be home but if uh if you guys would be down there for the cocktail i might come down and say hi i might have to do that uh we turned it into a fun time last night that ended up here till the wee the wee hours of the morning <laughs> Now, uh, how, what's it like? What's it like bringing, does your son go on the road with you? Uh, he did. I, I fired him for being too much like me. Uh, and he <laughs> is too. He's a, is he? Yeah. Ex- you know, except he's real smart. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that's the only difference. You know, he likes to party. He's 25. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't really think he's all that great an employee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's an interesting question. Is like parenting as uh, parenting as a guy who lived on lived out of the box. His it, it must have been an interesting skill set you gave him to survive with. You know, well, he ha- he also had an amazing mother and uh, an amazing stepfather. Yeah, who uh, yeah, I heard you talk really kindly about him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Well, that could be the bane, you know, of your existence. If the the guy that's living in the house with your child is a dickhead, yeah. and uh, you know, and uh, Terry Exline is a fine human being, just a great guy. Wow! And I was lucky, lucky to have him. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I mean, we've done about an hour. Um, I could say I literally could sit with you forever. But uh, but what uh, what's something that you that you you haven't done that you want to do? I want to. I have one more question too. But yeah, what's what is something that you want to do? I want to beat the Cheesecake Factory to Cuba. 
That's what I want to do. I want to get to Cuba before the cheesecake factory gets there. Yeah. That's what I want to do. That's the only thing on my bucket list is get to Cuba before the cheesecake factory. Oh, no. The the last question, I guess, and I think I will have covered just about everything, uh, but I'm int- the one thing I'm really fascinated by is uh, you were in comedy in the late 80s, early 90s, doing the road aggressively. Yeah. Um, you grew up in Texas. You're 59, Nine. 59 yeah. years old. So you grew up in a world where political correctness just didn't exist. But the, and then you, you were touring comics. You were a touring comic when you, you could make a, a gay joke or like, you know, during that time. And you've kind of seen where political correctness is taking us now. Hold on. Sure. Sorry. I'll That's okay. No, don't worry about it. Well, yeah. Same thing, same number, so they must really want to talk to me. Do you need to get it? I, yeah, I just turned off the ringer. Um, the problem so, will work itself out. So, <laughs> so where do you, like, how do you, how do you see this pro, pro, political correctness, the cisgendered, uh, trans, like, you almost where, like, <coughs> verbiage in general is precarious. Anything you say is kind of like, can be taken apart. Well, it doesn't really apply to me, you know, because my I'm performing for my fans. Yeah. And my fans are not politically correct and they <laughs> they you know, they kind of know what to expect, you know. They're, you know, I I'm going to say what I want to say when I want to say it and and they know that and and uh if they weren't fans, they wouldn't have bought the ticket. So, right. cuz it's not cheap and and uh, you know, and when I go down to the clubs, I really don't care about the response. Uh, and I'll fuck with them about it, and uh, and, it's, and that's kind of fun, just to make fun of them for being such fucking shit hooks, and you know, and uh, but yeah, but I don't really care. I mean, I hear Seinfeld, you know, talking about it, and about it. you can't hardly go to the colleges. I'm like, you know, perform for people your own age, man. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and it doesn't. So that that's why I don't have that experience. But I'm, I would imagine if you went around to doing colleges. That uh, you know that you would run into it, I guess. Well, yeah. Why do colleges? I, you know, I ran into it with soldiers because I would go around the bases and do shows for soldiers, and and I did some uh, stuff about uh, uh, something that was about profiling and uh, about you know I don't know if you remember the bit about. Uh, the, the warning system in the country, and I, I was going to have president. I have two warning systems: go, go find a helmet, put on the fucking helmet, and yeah. <laughs> uh, profiling with my mother, saying, "I don't know what that is." And I'm like, "Well, if the guy in front of you is wearing a turban and, or <laughs> has seven H's in his name and a basket of cobras, yeah. <laughs> check his shoes for fuses or whatever," but they wouldn't laugh at it. I mean, they they were drilled to be politically correct especially about that or maybe they were not to appear racist uh, never, that, never mind i was wrong about it they were actually right i was wrong okay i got you i'm back i'm back uh-huh. well that uh i mean i i uh i gotta thank you for doing this I, uh, for sitting down with me for an hour it means a great deal uh, like i said i don't think that uh you know, Joe Rogan is one of the bigger influences. I told him that one story, uh, that one story about me getting involved with the mafia, and he was like, "You got to tell it on stage." And he did that to me two days ago. Did he really? Yeah, because I told him a story 
about, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, a gold star heterosexual. I've never had any kind of sexual activity with a dude. <laughs> and uh, when I was in the Navy at 18, I'd only had one sexual experience ever, and it was with a, a girl in Tijuana whose teeth had no general direction or color. They just went everywhere. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, fuck, this is horrible. I felt bad about it when I left. I was like, oh. And, uh, but I got down to hotel street and these really cute girls would blow you for five bucks. And, uh, and I'm, I'm 18. That's about a 45 second journey yeah. uh, for the, <laughs> uh, uh. and I've been, I'm going down there twice a day. And so a couple years ago, I was watching a documentary <laughs> about the transvestites <laughs> on hotel street for 40 years. <laughs> Where they were at, I'm like, those were dudes. I let 150 fucking dudes suck my dick. I'm going to lose my status. And uh, so I told Joe that, and he laughed really hard. He goes, you do that on stage? I'm like, no. Uh-uh. He goes, you're a pussy, dude. If you don't do it tomorrow night, and I did. I'm like, all right, yeah. well, I don't want Joe calling me a pussy. It's the best thing. He, I, uh, I, I, I said something on stage the other night. And he pulled me aside. He goes, "If that's not a bit, that better be one." And I lo- those, those kind of people in your life are like they they lead you down the right. They lead you out to see the right way. I'm just now kind of getting to know him. And uh, and and I have love you done him, this but, podcast? No, he, oh. we're gonna do it. I'm gonna do it uh, right before Roadies comes out. <sighs> that's gonna be a good fucking podcast. He, yeah, he he. Uh, that's what that's what he suggested. The, the list, let's let's uh, let's let's save it for uh, right before the premiere. Oh yeah, that that podcast June twenty sixth. By the way, June twenty sixth, ten o'clock. Yeah, I'll right. mention it on my podcast. Good and uh, and yeah, and th- those the Rogan's one of those guys that he's very selfless about comedy. He wants you to be the funniest guy you could be, and 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 and, and I'm and I I'll, I'll say it again, but. When he told me to tell that story, there was no roadmap on how to tell a 15. Mine's a 12-minute story. There was no roadmap on how to tell that. And I literally I looked at, like, probably a handful of people. You, Chris Titus. Uh, like, I looked at old Andy Griffith stories. And I looked at I, – I literally went through the list. And I was like, uh, I was like, okay, I got to – you know, you, wa- you watch how the greats do it, and then you figure out your own path. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm grateful that my wife brought me to see the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. And I'm grateful that you guys got up at the end and you told that fucking story. It was like the perfect surprise. Yeah, I, you know, that was all Jeff's, you know, the whole thing was Jeff's idea. And, and uh, I mean, we were just, just uh, we we actually stole the idea from, from some black guys. That's uh, 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 what we did. But uh, the Kings of Comedy was, you know, hugely successful. And so, you know, we we know that there's another big population of people that, that aren't going to get that comedy. Not that that's not important comedy; it's just as important. Yeah, and it was and it was great too. And I, you know, I still I admire all those guys. They were just amazing entertainers. But you guys, you guys took off so globally different. I mean, every single one of you blew the fuck up. Like with yeah. those guys, Cedric did good. Bernie Mac did his own thing. It felt like you know, like like Steve Hart. Like it seemed like everyone separated. You guys still have this almost like a connection. You can't say Larry without. Or, or damn without your name with Jeff and you know it's like such an interesting fraternity yeah yeah and it's also something I'm real proud of you know I um, I I don't know where I'd be without it you know I really don't I, I do you ever not, think about that I doubt here do you ever you think know? about that like where like yeah. I do I used to do a couple things when I'd start feeling sorry for myself on the road I'd get out a newspaper and find out what I'm worth in the real job market 
and uh, which is nothing, almost, almost nothing. <laughs> uh, I like to smoke weed and drink and all day, and uh, you know, there, there's no room for me in the real job market. Well, uh, but that dog is sound asleep. Oh, she's <laughs> she just got off chemotherapy. But Foxworthy, first time he told me about this, we were flying on a, pl- a private jet that he had leased, and and uh, he, uh, he he tells me that what we're going to do. Well, Ingval was touring with another guy. It wasn't Dan. It was a uh, I've heard the Greg guy's Hawksley, name. Yeah, and who was a really good comic. Uh, he said we're going to combine the two tours and do uh, and uh, we're going to do big venues. And uh, and I said that's retarded. That, that that was my comment. That yeah. was my that's a, that's what a seer I am. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, but yeah, I think about it. You know, where would I be without those boys? You know, that's crazy. Where would they, where I, I think it was one of those things where it was the perfect mix. It was. You know, we we traded uh, Hawksley for Dan, and uh, and if we wouldn't have, who knows? You know, because I I think you're right. I think it was all four of us and. And uh, I run into people all the time that will say, you know, one of us is their favorite and it's different all the time, you know. So there was something there for everybody. And, and uh, uh, you know, I can't ex- explain the success of it other than that. And and uh, we were friends then and we're friends now. So that's cool. And, uh, and they all fired that dipshit. So I can, you know, now we can all talk bad about him. Yeah. So it gives us something to talk about. Well, I love it. I love it because it, you know, as a road guy and as a guy who, you know, and, and we know the same names of guys that still work the road and, and may never get out of the road. But the, you know, the, the, oh, I'd, I'd say lottery ticket, but that's the way this business works sometimes is being at the right place at the right time with the right skill set and, right. and the right, the right ability. Yeah, that, that was really the, and I kind of saw this lining up was, uh, because I'm like, I'm about to get famous burning 10 minutes of material and then that story. That You can't ask for more than that. Because That's all you did in that show was 10, 10 minutes? 10 minutes in Blue Collar 1. 10 minutes set and then 18 minutes, the whole thing. Holy shit. And I'm like, so I've got a full-blown act that I've been working on for 16 years that is off the fucking hook. I mean, that's the that's the one that sold the millions of copies. You are literally set up to succeed oh. in droves. In droves, and I and I'm I'm ready to back it up. So uh, with a show that they won't fucking believe, and uh, I've been working. I've been doing nine shows a week for sixteen years. And, Holy uh, shit! I'm, and I'm gonna go beat the fuck out of them, and I did too. So that's. That that's the difference between you know somebody come out here and get popular some way, and and then. Back it up with what? You know, what are you going to do now? Hot shot? You know? Yeah. So I've always let my stuff stay on the vine for a long time. I've never put out specials fast. I've always put them out slow. Like, I'm not like Lewis uh, CK, and uh, who puts them out every year. Carlin put one out every year. I'm like, I just have to let it sit on the vine because they're stories and they get better, you know? Yeah. And uh, because I, 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 they start off. I mean that's a, that's the beginning of a story that I just told you. Now I don't have a punchline for it, but it's funny, right? So right. eventually I'll grow that into some kind of a sled ride, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll hop on. So it's uh, 
but for now, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of where it starts, you know? And now why I skipped that story for all those years, I probably didn't want to talk about dudes sucking my dick. <laughs> but, you know, you spend a couple, you read Stan Hope's book, and, you know, you're like, okay, we're being that honest? All right, there you go. Okay. 150 guys blew me. All right. <laughs> I love that visual of a young Ron White, money in hand, walking back to the line. What's up, ladies? Yeah. <laughs> it's just all right. I had a. St- I wonder why she won't let me touch her pussy. <laughs> I had a story. Uh, I had a story about uh, that I told on Joe's podcast of a year, probably three years ago, about uh, going to a set live section in Amsterdam. It was a flying dildo show, and it was it's a funny story, but it just didn't work. It for some reason, you know, like you said. I could, yeah, I could tell it on an hour special. It just wouldn't be great. And then I told some small detail of the story on one of those. Have you ever done um, those news set shows where you go up with no material? They they do them in the belly room. Uh, yeah, I have. I, I, I did one at the Laugh Factory. That, um, and uh, and then the uh, the one that uh, the the. Uh, that I did the story show was with Art Ari Ari Shafir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, neither one of those stories had ever been told on stage. Really? No, that's why they weren't very funny. <laughs> but, oh, I'm, I already said you were I, fantastic. But I, but I thought that's what they wanted, you know, just to go up there and tell a story that, that not something that was developed. Well, they wanted to be raw. Yeah, and I and I think that's the the premise is rawness, and I, and I think some comics who maybe don't have the confidence in their storytelling or don't have the confidence on stage go up and do material. Those are kind of weak. You know the. I tell you what would make a funny show, uh, episode of that, is for him to have me and my mother on it. Uh, my mother. I'm almost certain Ari would green like that today. <laughs> my mother's a stitch. Really? Yeah. Oh, she's hilarious, and uh, and likes to drink and and gamble and have fun and and uh, has Ron White stories that nobody else has. And really, and she's a ham, and you know she. I take her to award shows with me whenever I do, you know, country awards or whatever, and I always take her out on stage, and and, uh, and they, fans love that shit that I love my mother. You know? <laughs> I love I love that you I love that you know that you're that 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 is that I love that you see that I love that you can that you're it's almost the jaded part of being a comic is that you can't help but be honest. I'm not going to fucking lie to you, you know. Right. Like I love that. Well. It, it, on one of them, and I do got to go because I got a guy upstairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there was a one in Vegas that I was doing, and uh, and this producer guy, or director, I guess he was, and uh, I said, hey, I want to I want to have my mom uh, go out there with me. And he goes, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that, Ron. I said, okay, well, I'll see you next time. And he goes, what? I said, I'm going to go out there with my mother. He goes, well, what does your mother do? I said, she's my goddamn mother. <laughs> he goes, well, okay, but you you have to stick to the script. And I said, okay, here's something else I'm going to talk to you about. I'm not going to say a word of that because it's not funny. A country act can go out there and be not funny because he's not supposed to be funny. I can't say these words. I've got to do it myself. Yeah. And he goes, well, I have to approve it. So I wrote something that he would approve. And then he, we were we were uh, breakthrough artists of the year. So my, me and mother went out, and of course they go nuts. And and then we have one, and then we move over to another microphone to announce. And uh, and uh, I go, and the breakthrough artist of the year is, and I hand the card to mother, and she goes, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ever 
everybody died laughing. Even the guy that uh, that won the thing was yeah. uh, thought it was funny. And I come back, and the guy vibed me. He, oh. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> Who gives a fuck about you? Oh, not me. <laughs> but anyway, hey man, thanks for doing hey, this. Thank and, you. And great to meet you. Come out tonight. It's good to meet have you. A, maybe a, I'll, I'll maybe I'll come over and have a drink with you guys. Well, yeah, we'll be friends. We'll start dating. All, All right. right, I like that. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by the machine. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. You could turn $10 into $250. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/fan and use code FAN. That's code FAN at prizepicks.com/fan. Must be present in certain states. Visit prizepicks.com for restrictions and details.